And I'd call and tell her, and she goes, how do you feel? I said, feels good. And she goes, do you know what that is? And I said, no. Self-respect, self-esteem, dignity, confidence, all the things that I got as a result of working the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and living it. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M., I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Howdy! 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 That was the voice of Miss Carol L. that you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you're going to hear so much more from her in just a moment. But you know what? Before I go on to that, first things first, I I, I just for whatever reason, I caught a little, uh, what was his name? Uh, foghorn leghorn or leghorn foghorn uh, in my voice there um, I don't know why it just kind of sounded like that to me and, and now it's kind of got me going into that mode and thinking about what did he used to say oh no oh, oh, I'm telling you boy I'm telling you now that boy is about as sharp as a bowling ball that's kind of stuff anyway I'm so sorry you had to experience that first things First, on this here episode number 206, that's dos zero seis, yeah, dos zero seis. This episode is brought to you by Sophie and Kayla and Kate and Levi and Tim and Gerhard and David. Everyone's out there. Just get on with it, John M. Just get on with it. Do you know what Sophie and Kate and Kayla and Levi and Tim and Gerhard and David did? Well, let me fill you in. They went to our website, website, soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a a contribution. So thank you once again for helping us to keep the virtual lights on. Sophie and Kayla and Kate and Levi and Tim and Gerhard and David. This episode, you know what? It is coming right out to Ewan's, and for whatever reason, my voice is cracking here. I could possibly be going through uh, puberty, you never know, for a second time. I, John M., just another bozo on the bus, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, like if you're like at a place where you actually can stand down. It's just kind of a a metaphor. You don't actually have to sit down. You get what I'm saying. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table and let's get started. No matter who you are, or what your past looks like, you are welcome here. It is an open table for all, and we are glad, so glad, you have joined us. Speaking of, if you haven't joined us in the super secret Facebook group, go ahead and uh, look in your Facebook application and type in the words, let me think about this, uh, sober speak secret group and it should pop up and you can ask for a invitation and we will get you on in the super secret Facebook group. Um, what else do I have here today? I think that's, oh, and if you are not following us on the Instagram, we are at 
Sober Speak, all one word. Come on in and join us in looking at all the posts. <laughs> is that what you do, right? Yeah, look at the post and, and see what's out there. There's a lot of good stuff to chew on. Nonetheless, I digress. Let's go on to Miss Carol L. That's what you're here for, folks, to hear from Carol L., not my shenanigans. Carol L. is with us today. She is from Lighthouse Point, Florida. We're calling this episode, this ep, Self-Respect, Self-Esteem, Dignity, and Confidence in Alcoholics Anonymous. Carol has been sober since May 1st of 1988. She grew up in New Jersey, and then she moved on over to Fort Worth, Texas when she was 29 years old. Carol's, Carol's last drink was at the famous Honky Tonk, many of you may have heard it, called Billy Bob's in Fort Worth, Texas. We talk about Carol's first first sponsor named Lois, uh, her life as a double winner. That means she's in both AA and Al-Anon. Her formation of the conception of a God in her life. We talk about the responsibility statement. If you don't know what that is, just stay tuned. She talks about pop quizzes that she gets from God and then... One of my favorites, her quote, she talks about not throwing the keys to the kingdom in the junk drawer. Oh, you are going to enjoy this one. So, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Miss Carol L. from Light, Light Point, Florida. <laughs> Excuse me, Lighthouse Point, Florida. Florida. That's a mouthful. Nonetheless, enjoy Carol, and I will have plenty. Oh, listener feedback at the end of this episode. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Miss Carol L from, well, I'm going to let you tell them that Carol in just a moment. So here, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you choose to do such and tell people where you are in this uh, great land of ours. Thank you, John, for the opportunity. My name is Carol L. I am in Lighthouse Point, Florida, which is near Fort Lauderdale. My sobriety date is May 1st, 1988. May 1st, 1988? Yes, sir. So you just passed 32 years. Am I right about that? 30, or 33. 33 years, three months, and 13 days. Wow, that's fantastic. Excuse me for my uh, public high school math there. Uh, I'm not always the best, but I was I was in the area. <laughs> that's fantastic, Carol. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about your time before that and the time after that. Do, do they have a, a an actual lighthouse in Lighthouse Point? Uh, Hillsboro Beach, which is a town a couple away from me, does have a lighthouse at an inlet. Yes. As a working okay. lighthouse, and it and Lighthouse Point is named because it's under the beam of the lighthouse. When the beam goes in a circle, that our town is lit. Oh wow! We're right. Our city abuts the intercoastal waterway, not far from the ocean. Very cool. Very cool. Mm -hmm. All right, so. So you've been sober for 33 years, and uh, I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. So let's start a little bit with, I guess, you know, your early years. What got you to Alcoholics Anonymous? And by the way, before I do go into that, I just want to let people know, Carol, I, you speak a whole lot on Zoom. Am I correct about that? So tell me how, I mean, you're really into the, I, I don't know how it says, the, the Zoom AA world, if you will. How did you get so, I guess, started or, or wrapped up in that? Oh, I love the online AA meetings. Uh, I got started because our home group had to, when the pandemic hit, we had to not meet in person. So a lot of groups were doing online meetings. And so I did it. I joined our online meeting, and we've had online meetings since 1986, 
But back then you would use a modem and dial into a number and it would be a chat room and we would just type lines of text to each other. Wow. So depending on how many people were in there, it's like imagine your phone and you're looking at text and you're looking at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lines of text. And so we would somebody would bring a topic up. And we would scroll to see what it is. And by the time you type, there could be 50 or 100 new messages. And we're trying to keep track of it. And it was it was interesting. <laughs> but uh, it's so much more fun now to get to see people's faces and to hear voices with that. So, wow, that's very cool. So you've really, you're on the front end of all this with the online AA stuff, huh? Yeah, I got into it probably 1989 through into mid 90s or so and at the international in seattle in 1990 they actually had the loners the um online meeting they had a a small meeting and a group met by a tree out in a park and then in 1995 at the at the san diego international they had an online meeting and they had a hospitality suite and you'd go in there and there'd be computers set up and we'd get to meet some of the people that we chatted with online back then. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> uh, so, and, and you send me, you, you, you've sent me quite a few texts to various meetings that are going on. Are, are you like, uh, like some sort of central location for that? Do people send that information to you? How do you get all that? I am on several chats through WhatsApp and I have some a friend in the UK and he has four different chats and other people have chats, different meetings I go to. Some of them have their own chats and we forward meetings and I get, I don't know, almost a hundred a day from all my chats wow. and I share them with people I sponsor or people like you that I've met. And I go to meetings all over the world and people call them Zoom meetings, but they're not. They're online AA meetings because tradition six says I don't promote an outside entity. And so when I'm saying it's a Zoom meeting, that's an outside entity to me. If I go to a meeting at a church or a school, I am not at a school meeting or a church meeting. I'm still at an AA meeting. And so what happens like you said i speak i do i have shared a lot all over the world and i'm so honored and i'm making friends around the world and it's because we go to these meetings and we have we make friends with each other and we see a lot of each other at the same meetings and then somebody hears me share and then they ask me to share at their meeting and then it, it mushrooms and and i talk a lot about god and my early sobriety and then i have people contacting me saying i heard you share about God and I'm having trouble with that. Would you share with me about how you found that and how it works in your life? And, and so I've had that happen a lot, especially this week. Yeah. So, and, and that kind of brings me to a point. I want to tell people how we came to know each other. And that is a friend of mine uh, who lives here and goes to the meetings with here in the uh, Frisco, Texas area. His name is Brad. And Brad, I, I don't. Apparently, he was on one of these meetings you were on, and you all mm-hmm. formed a, a a kinship. And he reached out to me. He says, "Will you please have Carol on?" And and so that's why we're here now. How did, did you meet Brad through one of these online meetings? I did. Brad came was at a meeting I was at, and he heard me share, and he sent me a message, and we became friends and communicate. And he he sent me a message a while ago because. Part of my early sobriety was my sponsor said, because I was home drinking a lot, I needed to find things to do. And so in addition to everything else, she had me write to GSO in New York and say, I want to be of service. And so they wrote to me and they gave me women's names in prison that I wrote to. And there's something called Loners International Meeting by Mail. And it's a pen pal we'll club. Just, just make sure we have that Loners International Meeting by Mail. Is that yes, right? Sir. Yes. And it's people, some of us have meetings we go to and some people are homebound and other people don't have meetings where they are. And some people are on ships or in the Peace Corps and we write to each other and stay sober. So we write to people all over the world. And I was doing that. And so Brad had written to me and said, because I told him about writing to people in prison and sharing some of those experiences, he started writing to somebody in prison. Wow. 
Very cool. Okay, so there's going to be people that are listening to this, people who may have an interest in what you just mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to putting your email out there in the uh, ethosphere. I'm just going to tell them, write me, John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and I will forward that information over to Carol, and uh, I'm more than happy to do that. That's very cool. John, or they can write to GSO in New York and say they want to be of service, and they can also, that's how I got contacted through that is by contacting GSO and they do have international, they have different items so they can contact them directly. Wow. All right. Good to know. Um, So have you ever been on a podcast before? No, sir. My first time excited. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you. You know, I know. So When I have someone on the podcast, we always have to, you know, the technical piece is always a little bit, not always cumbersome, but it can be a little bit difficult for people to deal with. And I appreciate you kind of jumping through the hoops that you had to jump through in order to get on here, you know, like getting a mic and and doing all that stuff. And I I really appreciate it, Carol. Um, Glad to do it. All right, so let's let's talk then a little bit about Carol and coming into the program. You kind of start where you want to start. I believe you came in through Al-Anon. Am, am I correct about that? Down here in my area, am I right? I did. I came into Al-Anon and got sober also in Fort Worth, Texas at the Glass House Group. You know, Worth. I know of the Glass House. I hear about it. Is it still around? Do you know? I don't get over to Fort Worth very much. Yes, sir. It is about a thir- little over 38 years old. I started there when I when it was five years old, and I knew all the founding members of it. And they called Glass House the God Squad. <laughs> <laughs> and they named it the Glass House because we should live our lives as if we live in glass houses that our insides and outsides should match. We should be transparent. Ah, uh, uh. I never knew that. <laughs> that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. So, so you, so apparently you lived in Fort Worth at one point. Huh? Did I, you grow up in Texas? No, I moved when I was 29. I left New Jersey where I'd been living and I moved to Fort Worth because somebody I knew was moving to Fort Worth and I didn't like New Jersey. And I quit my job after 12 and a half years and moved to Fort Worth. And I was still, well, what was it like back then? What was it like coming from Joyzy? Was it a, a culture shock or? Definitely a culture shock. I moved to Fort Worth in April 1980, and it was still pretty much a backwards town. It was all cow pastures, and yeah. you know, I'd drive to yeah. work past fields of cows and horses, and um, <laughs> it was so backward. The only pizza you could get was Pizza Hut and Pizza Inn, and um, catfish was the only fish, and growing up in New Jersey, you didn't eat catfish. And, you know, <laughs> wait a sec, I didn't know that was a thing. You don't eat catfish in Jersey? We didn't where I grew up. No. <laughs> was there a reason? Oh, like it's kind of considered like a dirty fish type thing. Yeah, yeah. My mom, Go- we're Ju- I'm Jewish, and my mom grew up very Orthodox Jewish, and catfish was one of those you don't eat fishes. You know, evidently, I don't know. I love catfish. Living in Fort Worth in Texas, we got to eat a lot of fried catfish, and I loved it. But my my mom had an issue. With, what you can't buy salmon? And, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's but I, love Texas. I got to texas and i knew that was just the place i was supposed to be and drank at the honky tonks and you know had a lot of fun down the fort worth stockyards for a while yeah yeah now fort worth's gotten a little bit more sophisticated since you got here but yeah. w- since you were there but yeah back then i i know what you mean <laughs> it, it was it was a cow town. <laughs> yeah, there was like Fort Worth and Arlington and Dallas and nothing between any of them. And right. I was there until 1998 when I moved to Florida, or God decided I needed to move to Florida. Wow. Yeah. All right. So so somehow then, so, so you got here to Texas. Uh, anything else you want to say, first of all, about your your background? I, you're, you're Jewish, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, brothers and sisters, mother and father, anything you want to go into there? Um, sure. I would, oh my, when I was about 10, we moved from the country in New York State by Bear Mountain, Peekskill, Shrub Oak, Mohegan, in that area, to New Jersey, to North Jersey. Um, I was about 10 or 11 at the time. I was just starting seventh grade. I'm the oldest of three. 
I have a sister three years younger, and I had a brother who was seven years younger. Um, he passed away a year ago in his sleep at 62. And in September, I'll be 71. I got sober at 37 and a half. So I grew up with a lot of responsibility. My parents worked. I don't think either of them were alcoholic. My dad could go bowling and he bowled a lot and he'd have a drink or two and that would be it. Uh, there wasn't drinking. Nobody came home and had a cocktail or any of that. So, but I grew up with parents that were pretty strict and raised me that I had to be a perfectionist and take care of everybody and everything. And in some ways, it probably helped me to not do a lot of things I might have done drinking. You know, I didn't start drinking until I was 18. And in high school, I was very responsible all my life. I went to work in New York City two weeks after I graduated high school, and I wasn't quite 18 yet. And so, I, you know, I had all that responsibility. I think it helped me to not go off the rails as much during my drinking days. So uh, it seems as if somehow you got hooked up with, however you want to say it, somebody who was of the drinking ilk because you ended up going into an Al-Anon meeting at the glass <laughs> house, right? So yeah. how did all that occur? And oh. did you have an alcohol problem at the time and just not know it? Well, probably when I was living in New Jersey, I had an alcohol problem drinking and I didn't, I knew there was something wrong. And what happened is I worked for a company and they had celebrations for everything. If somebody got a promotion or a birthday, they went out drinking. And so when I was 18 and working in New York City, when I turned 18, which is the legal age in New York, my office took me out for my birthday and they ordered martinis because that's what they drank. And I go, this tastes terrible. I'm not going to drink this. And they got me a blackberry sour and it was, oh, this is good. And so every time, you know, we drank and what, uh, what a blackberry salad. Is that what you said? Sour. Black oh, sour. Oh, that, that's, that, that's much different. Yeah. <laughs> so those were good. I like that. You know, so I tended towards sweet drinks for a while. Um, but yeah, I started drinking and then I saw some, when I was about 19, this guy I went out with got thrown up sick, drunk, and I swore I'd never do that, but I did do that. And then, you know, it progressed and somebody planted the seed. We had, I told you that company, there was a lot of drinking, a lot of drinking in that company. And one day, this man I used to work with in the accounting department, he used to disappear. And I always thought he was at one of the other locations on an audit or something. And one day he told his story in the company cafeteria and it, he talked about being in AA and about drinking and doing those things. And I see he planted that seed and it took 16 and a half years for me to get it. Because when I was about three months sober, I tracked him down and he had 16 and a half years. And he died a few years back with over 40 years of sobriety. And, mm. uh, and so he planted that seed. But see, I didn't think I was an alcoholic because I didn't disappear for days or weeks when I drank. You know, I would still come home and I wasn't like him. And so, yeah, I dated guys and my drinking was really bad. In my 20s, I told you I was partying, drinking and. And then in my early 30s, somebody that worked with me, her son and another kid were driving drunk and one of them was killed. So I did my drinking at home the last several years. Wow. But I had a boyfriend, you know, the guy I was with. And um, my last drunk was at Billy Bob's Honky Tonk in the Fort Worth stop. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't my last drink, but it was my last drunk. And, uh, Wasn't there a movie with like John Travolta about something. Billy Bob's or something like that? Some movie, yeah, it be famous. My guess is you didn't see John Travolta and Billy Bob's, huh? No, did not. Okay, so okay, so you mentioned the the boyfriend mm -hmm. there, uh, and is that what got you into the Al-Anon room? Yes, we both drank about the same, but one day he just showed up in a blackout. And now we had blackouts together, but he showed up and it got me into that emotional pain that for some reason must be God opened that window that day. And somebody I knew was in Al-Anon in AA and I called her and she told me about going to the glass house for an Al-Anon meeting. And I have this, what I know now is this loving God and he tricked me because the first few meetings at glass house were open AA meetings. 
And so I would sit there and, uh, you know, I told the Alanons, I said, I always bought extra liquor and hid it in the closet. So if he drank all mine, I would still have some. And they said, but they didn't hide it. So they would have some for them. And then the alcoholics had talked and what they did and how they felt, you know, what happened. And I identified and I think I said out loud, oh, yeah, I feel like that. And I thought that way. And somebody said, maybe you need to be down on this side of the building because Al-Anon was on one side and AA was in the other, except for open meetings. And so did I, you stick with Al-Anon? Did you go to AA? Did you do a little of both? How, how did you work that? I did both programs. Um, gotcha. And like 50-50? Or, I'm always curious yeah. about that one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, did, did you go to as many Al-Anon meetings as you went to AA meetings, basically? Um, in the beginning, it was probably close to 50-50, but as time's gone on, it kind of shifts depending, you know, um, after two and a half, when I got sober, God removed that hymn from my life, and I would go to meetings cry and think it's the worst thing that happened, and it turned out to be the best thing because I got to focus on my recovery a lot, like intense recovery, and I got to go to a lot of meetings and learn who I am and to like myself and be okay and really put all that energy into the program. They told me to put as much effort, if not more, into my recovery as I did to my drinking. And so I did. I went to several Al-Anon meetings a week, but I also went to a lot of AA. But I went to at least three meetings a day for at least three or four months. And also, Glasshouse had the open um, meetings, so we could go to both. We will be continuing our conversation with Carol L. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. Uh, you can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. All right, now back to Carol L. Okay, so Carol, you've, okay, so so the guy's gone now, and you are kind of finding yourself, you're going to the Al-Anon meetings, you're going to the AA meetings, I'm sure all the feelings are coming out, especially after you've gone through a breakup like that and all that kind of stuff. How did like okay? Take me over the next couple years. There, what 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 are some major milestones for you? Oh my gosh! There's when I was about two weeks sober, all those feelings were hitting, and I wasn't drinking. And what do you do with those feelings? You know, I couldn't drink. Those drinking it was my survival tool, right, to get through life. I never felt like I fit in or I was good in my body. Um, felt shame and guilt and remorse and all that. And so by not drinking, those feelings were coming back. And so at about two weeks sober, I wanted to drink really bad. And it happened when I was at a meeting because I was having dinner with somebody before and she was talking about some of the abuse and things and it triggered memories. And so I was crying during this meeting and I went in the kitchen where the coffee pot is and I was going to go drink. And there was a couple in there and they said, are you okay? I said, no, I want to drink. I don't like feeling this way. And he said, don't drink because I had two and a half years and went back out and it's not better out there and you might not come back. And if you come back, things may happen to you that you don't want to happen. And so stay. And so I went in the meeting and the women sat with me and they shared their stories and I shared what was going on with me and and they told me I'd never hurt that bad again, but I had to walk through this. It was kind of like doing a fifth step. And so I walked out of there and I didn't drink that day. And at 30 days sober, somebody asked me to read how it works. And I said, no, because if I make, if I stumble over the words, you guys would laugh and I'd feel embarrassed. And that whole meeting, I never heard what anybody shared. I just felt guilty. And I learned the guilt's worse than the fear because if everybody said no, there wouldn't be a program. Because the glass house has the responsibility statement when you walk in. That statement says, I am responsible when anyone anywhere reaches out for help. I want the hand of AOs to be there. And it was drilled into my head. And I sat there and that thought came to me. And I made a deal with God that day that I won't ever say no to a request. And when I was about five weeks, so, and I, that was the day I got my 30-day 30 30 chip, John. And 
instead of being proud, I got 30 days. I felt that shame and the guilt because I wouldn't read how it works, you know. And so um, after I told somebody, I went up to somebody at the meeting and I and he goes, congratulations on 30 days. And I said, yeah, but I didn't read how it works. And he goes, when's the last time you were 30 days sober? And I couldn't remember since I started drinking. I never went 30 days. And then five weeks sober, somebody said, there's a woman who needs a meeting to her house. Would you you know, who wants to go. And so I called and I met this wonderful lady that became my first sponsor. And her name was Lois. And she was sober since June 1966. She was 22 years sober. And she had a Lois. Lois. Yeah. Coincidence, right? (laughs) Lois Wilson. It wasn't Lois Wilson. Her name was Lois E. And uh, she was confined to bed the last seven years of her life with a third of a lung on oxygen. And she taught me the program and gave me a solid foundation in AA and showed me how to stay sober by writing letters and talking to people on the phone and listening to cassettes and reading the big book and all the things we seem to be doing now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, listen, I want to circle back to something here. And I'm, I'm always careful about this and you share what you want to share. And if you don't Mm -hmm. want to share anything, do not be concerned about it. Okay. Okay. But you mentioned earlier that you were sitting in that AA room and the feeling you, I guess we're having memories of abuse, Mm -hmm. right? And that was something you were having a hard time dealing with. And I just know people, when they listen to this, a lot of them have gone through the same sort of thing. And, and they think to themselves, how do I get through this? Uh, So can you, just expand on that however you want to expand on it, Carol. Okay. Do you want me to, when, do you want me to go? When I was a little girl, I was um, inappropriately touched by um, a step grandfather and was told never to tell. So I had that. And, you know, that happened a few times. And, and then because of my drinking, you know, I was in an abusive marriage in my twenties. He was verbally, physically, emotionally abusive um, and then by drinking, I put myself in situations where, you know, got date raped, um, things happened, you know, in a blackout, you go home with somebody and you don't know, just all that made me just feel shame because it, when I drank, you know, one of the things when Lois and I were w- working through the steps, she said, if you weren't drinking, would you have done that? If you weren't drinking, would you have put yourself in those situations where those things happened to you? And the more I put myself in those situations and the more things happen, just shame of going home with somebody I never would have done, you know, things like that. Um, and having, you know, and being, and even, you know, some of the abuse was being, you know, in our generation's parents handled things differently. You know, we get, my dad had hit me with the belt or something, not anything big, but, you know, I remember having to hide from him a few times in my childhood. So just all those things that just happened. And I thought I was a bad person and it made me feel dirty inside for some of it. Right. Oh, Carol, I I, I appreciate you being vulnerable about that. I, I know that there are going to be people out there listening that that will help. Uh, and so those were the types of thoughts that were coming up in your head during that early sobriety, right? And that's what you were having a hard time dealing with. And yeah. it completely makes sense, right? Nowadays, I think they call it, you know, I keep hearing of it, trauma is something that mm-hmm. they talk about on a consistent basis. And, yeah. you know, when I got sober like you, I, I don't know, they, I don't, it just wasn't talked mm-hmm. about as much. But, and I am I'm glad that it gets out there more now and that yeah. people are open and vulnerable about it because I, I think they say like, you know, anyway, th- there's a big percentage of people that have gone through this exact same thing, right? And uh, the more they know they're not alone, the better. Yeah. And even the men are sharing about being abused sexually and molested and all that also, because it's not just the women and the girls no. and the baby. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day and she was a toddler and it happened and and so, you know, that promise on the wall that says, I won't regret the passenger wish to shut the door on it. When I came in, I wanted that so bad, so bad. And then I read the part in the big book where it says, cling to the thought that in God's hands, 
the deepest, darkest secrets of my past are my greatest possession because they avert death and misery for others. And what the women did that day with me by sitting there and we cried about it and they shared their deep secrets, you know, and I came in and, and when I saw those steps on the wall and I said, I will never tell this, never, you know, and then I would hear people sharing it from the podium and it gave me hope that maybe I could. And what I found is the more I share this, the less it hurts, but I still remember the feelings, but there's not pain associated with the feelings. And in fact, the last week I've been able to share this a couple times with people in more detail than I'm doing here. And if anybody ever wants my number, you can always give my info out. If anybody hears this later and they want to talk about it, I would be honored to share with them. You got it. Once again, uh, just email me at john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com, and I will put you in contact with Carol. Okay, so... We so you talk about Lois, mm-hmm. right? And your relationship with her. Take me on past that into into a little bit further into sobriety. Okay. Uh, well, first she made sure I had that contact with God. You know that was the main thing. And she told me I'm not bad, trying to get good. I'm sick, trying to get well. And okay. So and I I have a question on that. So it, you came back. You know you're probably looking at yourself in these meetings saying. <laughs> What's a nice little Jewish girl like me doing in a program like this, right? In a church, <laughs> with all these right. wild. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you grew up. You you had a Jewish uh, uh, upbringing and background. Where your parents, I think you said they're Orthodox, right? They they practice on a consistent basis. I'm just wondering what your exposure was as a child. My, my mother was brought up that way. My father okay. wasn't. He was Jewish, but wasn't brought up with religion. And so I really wasn't, I brought up, did Jewish holidays and stuff, but I wasn't brought up traditional at all. Okay. Much like the Christians when they go to Easter and, and yeah. uh, Christmas only, that sort of thing. I got you. Yeah. Okay. So you come into Alcoholics Anonymous and I, what I'm wondering about is how did that, your background and your exposure and stuff, how did that either help you or work as some sort of impediment to you finding a God of your own understanding? I was always, when I was a kid, if some, if I did something, my mom would say, God's going to punish you for this. That was about it. But um, I thought I always made these deals with God, you know, God, if you get me out of this, I won't do it again. And God, if this doesn't happen then, and I'd break those deals. And so when I came into you, I wouldn't pick up a card if it said God. I didn't, I thought God didn't care if I walked into a house. I was afraid to walk into Glasshouse Church Annex. The roof's going to fall in on me or something. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't believe in that. I thought something's going to happen. And then you told me to believe in this God, you know, and it was really hard for me to do that. And what happened is when I was talking to Lois doing that third step, I was probably five or six weeks sober. It was right after I met her. And so we talked about that God and saw how it was watching out for me all those times through my drinking and, you know, driving drunk and not getting a DUI or not going to jail or, you know, not being hurt worse when I was in a blackout or drinking or anything. And so I had to come to believe in in a God and I had to borrow hers for a while. Um, And then I got to see how this God loves me. And she said, when I do step three, it says you don't make a promise to God. You're making a decision to turn your will and your life over to this God and to work the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous in the program when I do that, right? And so, and then I would read in a big book where this God's everything or nothing. What do I want God to be? And see, and and part of the answer to your question is people would say God's their father. And I couldn't have God as my father because I couldn't rely on them. They break promises to me. They don't do what they say they're going to do. So I couldn't, I didn't have a good father image that I wanted my God to be a father. And I couldn't, and people would say God's their friend. And I couldn't have God be my friend because we're not always there for each other either, right? And so that didn't work for me. And then one day I heard somebody and they said their God is both masculine and feminine because sometimes they need the attributes of a man or a woman. And I know we both have both characteristics, but sometimes I had to face something and and I was really scared. And sometimes I'd need courage or strength or tenderness and kindness because I was always really hard on myself. 
And so sometimes I would draw on those attributes. And, and, and then I found I don't invite God into my day because, see, my day's small and limited. But what I did is I invite myself into God's day because anything's possible that way, right? And then as I got sober, you know, I know God gave me Lois because, she, <clears throat> excuse me, she used to say, because she was really frail, she couldn't get out of bed. Someday she could hardly breathe or talk. And she would say, God, you know, to her sponsor, why is God keeping me alive? Because I'm really frail and I don't want to live this way. She did it for seven years. And her sponsor said, because God's not done with you yet. And I told her I was so grateful God saved her for me because, you know, I couldn't sit still. I I couldn't sit still for five minutes. But you know what? I'd go to a meeting or my meeting sometimes would be sitting on her bed for hours and we'd listen to, we had cassette tapes back then. And so we would listen to speaker tapes or we would read the big book or the 12 and 12 or the little red book. And we read Shel Silverstein books and she taught me how to laugh and to be a kid because I didn't have that childhood. And, and so through that, I got to see this God working, right? And she had a poem called I Am There that the Apollo 15 astronauts put on the moon. And that helped me find God. And and uh, I'll tell you, you know, one of the things that helped me with God, I told you how I felt about myself, which isn't what I do now. But I had two dogs and I came home from this meeting one night and one of my two dogs was really sick. And so I called Lois. It was 10 at night. I'd gotten home from a meeting and she said, do you have antibiotics? And I said, I have some from my other dog. And she said, well, give her, give her the antibiotic and then give her to God and go to sleep. I said, how do you do that? You know, I'm probably not even two months sober. And she said, you go here, God, here's Jenny. And then you lay down and you go to sleep. So I had <laughs> Jenny, right? And I, and I went to bed and my other dog's next to me. And I said, God, I'm giving you Jenny. And if you take her life, I'll try to understand. And if you save it, I'll be really grateful. And I fell asleep. It was the first good night's sleep I had in a long time. And in the morning, she was better. And she, I took her to the vet. She got a shot. And by the time I got home, Jenny was okay. You wouldn't have known she was going to die the night before. And I thought if God cared that much about Jenny, maybe God will care about me. And that's kind of how mm. I did my third step. Mm. You know? so, that's beautiful. And after that, you know, and then I was four months sober. And I went to a conference in Lake Murray, Oklahoma. And it was Labor Day weekend. And I met a lot of people from Dallas, and they go, come to Dallas. I said, I don't drive to Dallas. The traffic's terrible. I hear it on the news, <laughs> right? So I bought, because I'm not spending money on liquor, I buy in cassette tapes, right? And so I'm listening to these tapes, and I'm crying, and it's bumper-to-bumper traffic on Sunday, and I'm watching the car in front of me to not hit it. And all of a sudden, I didn't know the interstate forked off to go to Fort Worth, and so I'm going straight, just looking at the bumper in front of me. And I look up and I see Stemmons Freeway and Mockingbird Lane, which are streets in Dallas, right? Downtown right. Dallas. And all of a sudden, it was like I got this voice from God and it said, you can do what you don't think you're doing. No, you can do. Just follow what's in front of you. And it was a really big lesson for me. And, you know, now <laughs> I have a camper van. I travel all over the country and I drive anywhere. So... <laughs> You know, having all these little stories for me and, you know, and I had, when I was four years sober, I got colon rectal cancer again and had to have surgery and it was my footprint story. I could spend an hour telling you all the parts of that, but I, you know, I, I was laying on the stretcher outside the operating room talking to an anesthesiologist and I said, you sound very familiar. And he took his cap and his mask off and he leaned down and he said, glass house. And I said, can we invite God into the operating room? And he said, yes. And we said this, the serenity prayer. And some doctor walks by, he goes, do you two know each other? And Jim goes, yeah, we're both sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and I had a 99 to one shot of a reversible colon surgery and I got the 1%. But it's my footprint story. And if God says, I'm going to put you back the way you were, but you lose those lessons and experiences, and so does everybody else, I'd say, no, thank you, God. Because I've been able to share it with so many people in and out of the program. You know, so wow. I've got so many God stories. So, yeah. Yeah, little God shots, as they call mm -hmm. them, huh? 
Yeah. So uh, you said something about simple prayers your sponsor gave you that you were really new that kind of help you and you still mm-hmm. share with others today. Do I remember that right? Yes, you do. One of them was, God, if it be your will, can I not do things to hurt myself anymore? That works in lots of ways. Helps me eat or keep my mouth shut or speak up. (laughs) (laughs) She said, if I do things for God, I can't get resentments over it. You know, if you cook a meal and somebody doesn't like it, if you did it for God, you know, whatever it is, do things for God. I had to take care of myself for God because if I don't, I can't do what God wants me to. Uh, Bless it or block it and let me know the truth. But that one works really powerfully. I had to bless it or block it. And let me know the truth. Uh, Yeah. And then I had to ask God to please put me in the place I can best use my talents and God-given abilities according to God's purpose for my life. And I had to put a note on my mirror and mine said, Dear Carol, I know what I'm doing. Love God. Uh, (laughs) 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 I had lots of, um, what's the other one? Um. There's so many of them that I I love. Um, I think I've heard you talk a little bit before about pages 84 and 8 through 88, mm-hmm. uh, especially in your early sobriety and even now. So talk to me about how you use those pages. And by the way, we do have people who listen to this sometimes who are not familiar with what we're talking about. Uh, they just like to hear the podcast. Uh, and this is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous we're talking about. Right. So eight, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88 are very quoted mm-hmm. uh, and uh, very important. I, their guess are all important, but right. uh, one of the most quoted and used portions of the big book. So why don't you talk about that a little? Okay. When I came into the program, you know, my best way of thinking and living got me to you guys in the way it did, to AA. And so Lois told me that the instructions, the big book is not a novel, it's a textbook. And so every day, first thing in the morning, last thing at night before I went to bed and sometime during the day, she told me to read the third step prayer, which is on page 63, the seventh step prayer on page 76, I had to read 68 through 71, and she said, ask God to help me set my ideals in all areas of my life, not just sex, and to read 84 through 88, which is 10, 11, and 12. And it really helped me because it says, upon awakening, I think about the 24 hours ahead, just that short time frame, sometimes less, sometimes it's five minutes or an hour. And then it tells me what to do. And it says, pause when agitated or doubtful. Ask for the right thought or action. And then at night, it says, review my day. And what do I do? And then step 10 is on the 84. And it it says, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear. And I have to add lately frustration and feeling overwhelmed. I add other things. But it tells me all those those pages, 84 through 88, are really important because it tells me what to do when I have these things happen. You know, ask God to remove them immediately and and take action if I need to and turn thoughts to God. And and nowhere in the big book, third and seven, nothing says take everything away so I'm going to live happy, joyous, free forever and never have challenges. I ask God for strength and God gives me difficulties to overcome to make me stronger. And I've learned it's not the storm that gets me, it's the forecast. These may happen and, I, you know, then I'm suffering in advance for something that may not happen. And if it does, <laughs> it's not happening how I thought it was, that's for sure. You know. Right. And so I had to do that three times a day. And then she had me write a journal, a gratitude list, and a list of things I did to help my self-esteem. Plus, call people, you know, all those things go to people looks more scared than you and call them and write the letters. And I was so busy because I went to a meeting at seven in the morning, worked, went to a six and eight o'clock meeting. And then I had to make phone calls and write letters and write all those things. And (laughs) I didn't have time to think about drinking anymore because see, I drank at home. So she had to fill that time for me. Right. And so, but those pages, because I've read them so much or read how it works when stuff happens, those things we read just happen in my head. Like something like, oh, I'm at a turning point. Okay. Here I make a decision. And I used to have to pray. I'm willing to be willing to be willing to try something different. 
And now I got to where, okay, God, however this goes, there's, I'm going to have an experience you let me share with somebody else someday. And there's always somebody that's had that experience. And there's always somebody saying, me too, can I go with you? And I don't do this. You know, my favorite, there's a couple favorites in the big book besides those pages. But by, you know, oh, and the other thing that's important is I read the big book or any of our out loud in the singular. Because I remember it. If I read silently, my mind wanders. And I might not remember what I read. But if I read it out loud, I'm seeing it. I'm hearing it. And reading in the singular, it seems it applies to me more. Right? And so I found that helpful. But things are just, I don't argue. I don't do contempt prior to investigation. But I love the last two pages of Keys to the Kingdom. Because it says, that it's a limitless expansion program. I'll never outgrow it. And it says where I used to run from responsibility, I find myself attacking things with surprising vigor and applying the techniques of the program. And my other favorite promise is on the top of page 100. And it says both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. It says, when you look back, you will find that the things that came to you when you put yourself in God's hand are far more wonderful than you could have imagined. Follow the dictates of a higher power. You'll presently live in a new, wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstance. So it means I don't walk it alone. I have to persist. I've had so many remarkable things if I stay in the now. And sometimes it's not when I look back. I see things as I'm growing. I don't go through my growth through them now, right? And I get to see them as it's happening. And God gives me these pop quizzes. Carol, what do you know and how are you applying it? Because it's easy to have a good program when stuff goes well. What's my program when things happen, like getting cancer for the fourth time or watching my parents die or my husband die? We're going to five international conventions and having great joys, you know. And so I've had so many things happen and had so much fun sober. And I'm so grateful to be here and have this way to live. You know, I don't throw the keys to the kingdom in the junk drawer. I cherish <laughs> them. I cherish my program and I keep growing and I still do my Al-Anon program and sponsor people in both programs. But I have to say, Al-Anon has helped save my serenity in my life. And, and I like contented sobriety, John. I don't want to just be sober. That was that white knuckle two-week thing I would go through. But I like to be contented sobriety. I remember calling Lois once. She died when I had a year sober. And right before she had 23 years sober. But what she taught me is still my foundation. And I remember calling her one day and I said, life's boring. There's no chaos. I don't have a knot in my gut. I don't know what this is. And she goes, really? You don't know what it is? I said, no. And she said, it's serenity. Oh, see, I didn't know what serenity was when I had to take different actions and something would happen. And I'd call and tell her and she goes, how do you feel? I said, feels good. And she goes, do you know what that is? And I said, no. Self-respect, self-esteem, dignity, confidence. All the things that I got as a result of working the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and living it, you know, and I'm so grateful I get to share it and give it away and now tell you about it. So maybe it'll help somebody else someday. There we go. And that's exactly what we're going to do with this episode. You're telling me about it, but we're going to tell uh, quite a few other people about it. And I, I appreciate you, Carol, so much. Um this has been a pleasure spending time with you. I'm going to read from page 164 of the big book here to kind of wrap us up. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us like me and Carol L., as you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Carol, thank you so much again. Thank you, John, for having me. It was an honor and a pleasure, and I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. God bless.
Thank you, Carol L., one more time for coming on the pod and sharing your experience, strength, and hope with the listeners. And if you are out there and you're listening to this and you thought to yourself, you know, I really think so-and-so, my friend, or so-and-so, my family member, should hear this, or so-and-so, my coworker, should hear this, well, go ahead and pause your device and share that episode with them. It may be just what they need today. Now, on to a little bit of a listener feedback. Megan DMs me on the gram. She says, John, you have a fantastic podcast and humor. She says, I am 50 days sober today and I was really struggling tonight. I opened my Spotify and put in Uh, in quotes, Alcoholics Anonymous, and the podcast about the third step came on, and it was perfect, exactly what I needed. Thank you so much, Miss Megan, for uh, sharing that. I really do appreciate that. Uh, So good to hear from you. Bob W. from Fargo, North Dakota, also writes in on the gram, the Instagram. He says, John, today I celebrate three years sober from alcohol. Good for you, Bob. And I just wanted to say thank you for being a part of my journey. You do a great job on the podcast and you are my meeting between meetings. Many thanks, Bob W. (coughs) (coughs) Well, excuse me there. I I don't know what happened. Well, I know what happened. I just got a little tickle in my throat. But nonetheless, uh, Bob W. from Fargo, North Dakota, uh, says many thanks and congratulations, Bob, on your three years. That is absolutely fantastic. And thanks for writing in. And you said to me, thanks for being part of my journey. And I say to you, my friend, thank you back at you for being part of my journey. Krita DMs on the IG. Krita, Krita, uh, K-R-I-T-A. I think I have that right. She says, hi, John. I recently discovered your podcast. I love it in all big capital words. She says, I'm interesting in checking out your Facebook page. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Uh, I told uh, Krita to go to the Facebook group and just request her in and we'd get her in, which we did. She says, I've been a member of Al-Anon for eight years. I love listening to AA recovery even better than Al-Anon. Speakers like Bill C. and Matthew M. have the spiritual recovery I want. You are an amazing host. Thank you for the podcast. And I passed those sentiments on to both Bill C. and uh, Matthew M. Uh, I appreciate you writing in, Krita. By the way, I always love to get messages regarding the various uh, guests, speakers that we have on here, and I like to pass it on to them. Uh, and let them know that their time is worth it. If you want to write me a John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, or you could just uh, 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 I am, no, not I am, DM me on the gram. Another gram DM. You can tell I'm kind of getting caught up on the gram DM. Erin DMs on the IG. She says, hi, I just started following your podcast the 11th when I got completely sober. I've listened to 43 episodes so far. You're my meeting between meetings when I work and I listen to it to help keep me on track. Well, Aaron, you are uh, on a a very fast pace. Uh, I'm sure you'll be done with all of them pretty soon, but thank you so much. And I'm glad uh, you uh, have uh, started this journey along with us. Appreciate it. Leanne DMs on the IG as well. And Leanne says, John M., I am a newcomer to AA and I am 42 days sober. Good for you, Diane. Excuse me. I just said Diane. It's Leanne. Uh, She says, I live in the United Kingdom and I love listening to your podcast while driving to work, doing housework, or needing that meeting between meetings. I love your humor and your enthusiasm. So a big thank you. And here is to another 24 hours. Well, here's the way I like that. Cheers to another 
24 hours over there in the UK, Leanne. Thank you so much for writing in. Kayla also DMs on La Instagram. She says, I absolutely love, in all big capital letters, the Sober Speak podcast. I'm currently listening to it right now. As she's typing it, she says, it definitely helps me get through the days at work. I'm on episode number 38. And with your tempt sponsor, <laughs> it says she's got a big smiley face. What she's saying there is... Uh, I recorded number uh, episode number 38 with my sponsor, Bob L., and I call him my temporary sponsor, which he has been since 1989. I still say that uh, he needs to earn his stay as my permanent sponsor, so I just don't want him to get too comfortable, I guess. <laughs> she says, I'm listening to you from Tampa, Florida. I have three months in. Good for you, Kayla. First time in sobriety and loving every second of it. Thank you for making making such an awesome podcast. Well, thank you for being such an awesome listener. You're so awesome, Kayla. Oh, you're so awesome. You just, we just absolutely love you here, Kayla. Anyway, I don't know what I'm doing, uh, but I really appreciate you writing in. Michael writes in and he says, hello, John M. Thank you for your email. Oh, let me look here. Thank you for your email, and I enjoyed your recent podcast. I happened upon Sober Speak during a search of sobriety in my podcast app. Oh, I had reached out to him because he had sent in some... Uh, oh, I think he subscribed to us is what it was. He says, I'm 53 years old, and I live in Rockledge, Florida. Rockledge. That sounds like something that would be from like the Flintstones or something. But nonetheless, I live in Rockledge, Florida, which is located on the eastern coast near the Cocoa Beach, Cape Canaveral area. My sobriety date is June 16th of 2019. The speaker from today's podcast, Jack W., absolutely resonated with me in many ways. I listened to it in its entirety twice today, actually. Thank you for your service, and I look forward to more of your podcasts, uh, future as well as previously recorded. Uh, have a most excellent and beautiful weekend, Michael S. Thank you, Michael S. You have a good weekend as well. Well, you're probably not going to be listening to this going into the weekend, but you could. Who knows? Have fun there and rock ledge. And I'm glad Jack W. resonated with you. Um, Matthew M., not the Matthew M. that's on the podcast a lot, but another Matthew M. wrote in. He says, John, this is Matthew M. My sobriety date is 8-14-19. I live in Louisville, uh, Kentucky. I just celebrated two years uh, for the past couple of months. I have, uh, congratulations, by the way, uh, Matthew. I have felt I just kind of been, I felt like I've just kind of been on a spiritual plateau in my recovery. I reached out to some of my support group and they re recommended to put more into my recovery. Looking back on my recovery over the past few months, I probably have slowed down in a bit and mainly just do, well, hold on a second. My son has come in. Yes. Oh, dinner's ready? Okay, I'm going to tell mom I'll finish this up real soon and I'll be right down. Sorry, everybody. That was my son, uh, the wonderful son that I have. And he is telling me the dinner's ready. And I'm sorry to Matthew that I uh, interrupted this. But anyway, I decided to take the suggestion. So I just joined a study group, study group doing a 16-week step study and decided that instead of music all day at work, I would listen to a recovery-based podcast some of the day. That is how I stumbled on your podcast. I listened to a few episodes. The one that really helped me a lot was episode number 198 with David G. I really appreciate your service and commitment to helping others. I already sent it to a few other people in my support group, including my girlfriend. Thank you, and I'm grateful I stumbled upon it. God bless Matthew. Well, God bless you, Mr. Matthew, and I'm glad we can uh, help bolster, if you will, support, if you will, uh, be a, a supplement, if you will, to your already existing program. 
All right, last one, and I got to get down to dinner. Uh, Tim T writes in, and Tim says, Hi, John. I am based in downtown LA, Los Angeles, and my home group is grounded at Central Market. Grounded at Grand, oh, excuse me, grounded at Grand Central Market. Although 18 months ago, we launched our Grounded in the Cloud platform and grew our daily morning meeting that used to average between 12 and 15 people to twice daily meetings of Grounded in the Cloud, we are now averaging about 75 daily participants. It's amazing how the pandemic forced us to pivot overnight, and we are now reaching more people than ever. God bless you. By the way, I like that Grounded in the Cloud. So I think what that is, is a reference to the line in the big book that says we need to keep our feet firmly planted on the ground excuse me ground and have our head in the clouds with him i think that's what that's reference to anyway he says i love your podcast and i've been listening almost every day catching up on old episodes that i haven't listened to before the quality of the long-term sobriety is staggering. Yesterday, I listened to all three of Brian P's interview. He's absolutely wonderful. I get it, Tim. Uh, and was mesmerized by his insights into the first three steps. Frankly, all of the speakers have been amazing. I have been promoting your podcast to some of our new newcomers. From a personal standpoint, my sobriety date is April 27th of 2015. I have a sponsor and I sponsor others, and I wake up every day thanking my higher power for the life I have today. Thanks for all you're doing today to live the message of Alcoholics Anonymous, Tim T. And then he gives his phone number. So, you know, one of these days, I'm just going to accidentally read that, <laughs> and, then I, and then maybe I'll accidentally forget to... Uh, anyway, it'll be the last time anybody writes in, right? Uh, put his uh, number out there on the airwaves. Nonetheless, all right, everybody, I got to get down to dinner. The lovely Mrs. M, I'm sure, has cooked up something absolutely fantastic. God bless you all and for another week. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. As you know, I do this one week at a time. Hope to be back next week. And uh, until then, be well. Peace and love. Adios.